everyone has AIDS. So this is the end of our story. And everyone is dead from AIDS. It took from me my best friend, my only true pal, my only bright star. He did Well, I'm gonna march on Washington, lead the fight and charge the brigades. There's a hero inside of all of us. I'll make them see everyone has AIDS. My father, AIDS. My sister, AIDS. My uncle and my cousin and her best friend. AIDS, AIDS, The gays and the straights and the wild. Everyone has AIDS. My grandma and my dog are blue. AIDS, AIDS, AIDS. Hope has got it and so do you. Everybody, we got something to do. The girls break down his barricades. Everyone has AIDS, 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 Welcome, everyone, to episode seven of Thinking Logically, where we do nothing more than logical thinking. I'm Dr. Joseph Anthony Corsi with you here. Also here with me is Professor Mark J. Grandinetti, a.k.a. The Podfather, and we're just going to dive right into today's episode. So you heard the cold open, and does everyone have AIDS? Probably not. And although funny, it's a question that in 2022, sadly, needs to be answered. So, what exactly is Paxlovid? That's the drug that President Biden was taking, and then all of a sudden had a rebound from COVID over it. So what is it? Who makes it? What's inside of these pills? And how exactly do they work to fight COVID? Well, I did a little bit of research, and here's what I found. So Paxlovid is an antiviral therapy that consists of two different medications packaged together. What are those medications, you may ask? One of them is Nermatrelvir. This inhibits a key enzyme that the COVID-19 virus requires to make a functional virus particle. It's a protease inhibitor, and oddly enough, ivermectin, believe it or not, has a very similar protease inhibitor activity. And for me, that raises more questions. But before I get sidetracked, let's move on to the other drug that's in Paxlovid, which is called ritonavir. Ritonavir, yes. This is a drug commonly used to treat HIV and AIDS. I mean, this is, this, this is, not, this is according to Yale Medicine. So um, according to Yale Medicine, ritonavir is used to shut down... Uh, metabolism in the liver. Now, this is so it doesn't move out of your body as quickly. And because of this, they say it could work longer. Um, again, this isn't according to me. This is according to the science. Um, Pfizer said it's COVID-19 pill because Pfizer actually, I don't know if I, I might have failed to mention that makes makes Paxlovid. Um, Pfizer said it's COVID-19 pill used with an HIV drug Cut the risk of hospitalization or death by 89% in high-risk adults who have been exposed to the virus. Um, I have here, but uh, I'm not going to read it because is this what we are really seeing? I mean, does, does Paxlovid really work against COVID-19? In my opinion, no. But let's play devil's advocate here for a second and just assume that it does. At what cost is it? Please, please do not tell me 
that the cost is your immune system not functioning properly after taking this. I mean, how else do they explain that I'm doing air quotes here, a rebound? That doesn't make a lick of sense to me. You shouldn't be able to get sick again that quickly, at least not from the same virus. You should have active acquired immunity. But for some reason, people are getting sick again after taking Paxlovid. And usually the symptoms are worse, like Dr. Fauci's, and we don't have any information on Dr. Biden yet, but we don't know if his symptoms are worse or not. But it sounds like it's a problem with the immune system. Now, can anyone listening think of a virus that attacks your immune system and eventually will lead to its demise? I can't. It's called the human immunodeficiency virus, a.k.a. HIV, a.k.a. the virus that causes AIDS. So why is an HIV drug in Paxlovid? I don't know, but maybe it's not even Paxlovid causing your immune system to be weakened. Maybe it's the vaccines. Um, let's not forget, there were a lot of confirmed false positives for HIV last year. And at the same time, I watch a lot of news. I'm not going to lie. I've been seeing a lot, and I mean a ton of HIV commercials lately, along with shingles. But uh, think I'm lying? Let's take a look at a few articles from the past. Okay, so first one. False positive and HIV patient with SARS-CoV-2 infection. This is from the National Library of Medicine. And it's under, the, uh, it's under the NIH, so it's not just something I'm making up here, guys. And we're going to move to another article from, I believe this is the New York Times. Australia scraps COVID-19 vaccine that produced HIV false positives. Of the dozen of coronavirus vaccines being tested... Um, worldwide, the one under development at the University of Queensland was the first to be abandoned. Hmm. So I'm going to play a video from that and you decide for yourself. Queensland vaccine um, will not be able to proceed. 50 million planned doses scrapped after triggering false positive results for HIV. As in science, things don't always go right. It's certainly a tough day for the, for the team. The UQ vaccine applied a molecular clamp closing the coronavirus spikes using an HIV protein, which falsely triggered infection markers. Everybody who had the vaccine uh, did show some level of false positive result. One of them. Okay, gonna stop the video there. Um, judge for yourself, fine. Some remind me, uh, because we're going to see what the fact checkers say. Remind me real quick before I do what the fact checkers records have been the last year or two. I believe they're about 0 for 500. So fact check. This is from Reuters, Reuters, Raiders, whatever. Why does Pfizer's new COVID-19 pill include a protease inhibitor using HIV treatment? And they just give a bunch of nonsense and just claim that it's found to be nearly 90% effective. So who cares? Nothing about anything else, really. Um, and we can move to another one with, let's see here, another fact check. Fact check. COVID-19 boosters do not cause positive HIV tests. Well, um, fact checkers, no one really said that. What we were saying was they 
they cause false positives. Can we get a reason why? Can we do a fact check on on why? That's the question I have. Again, I'm, I would feel a lot more confident this wasn't even an issue if the fact checkers just left it alone and shut up about it. But I'm once again asking, how many people have had false positives for HIV in the last year and why? Am I crazy, Mark? No, you're not crazy. Um, the, the, the main takeaways I see from this are the fact that, number one, Pfizer does make Paxlovid. So we want to keep that in mind. That's not something to be sniffed at or overlooked. Pfizer makes Paxlovid. What drug are they pushing to treat COVID and prevent serious illness? Paxlovid. Another thing that I found, uh, doing a quick Google search of ivermectin, actually, because Merck, I believe, makes ivermectin, or is one of the makers of ivermectin. How common is Paxlovid rebound? Mayo Clinic researchers reported today in the journal Clinical Infectious Diseases that less than 1% of patients at high risk for experiencing severe COVID-19 who were treated with Paxlovid experienced a second bout of COVID-19. So less than 1%. So you're telling me that President Joe Biden and Dr. Tony Fauci were among the, that less than 1% of people who experienced a second bout of COVID-19 after taking this drug. That can't be a coincidence. So that's all I got on Paxlovid. Um, okay. So I, I kind of tied it with like HIV and, and AIDS and all that other stuff. Um, I, I got to mention, Dr. Fauci was the point man on AIDS, just like he was COVID. And that is another weird coincidence. And I'm going to play a video. I don't know what year it's from. It's definitely from the, the mid early nineties. It could be before. And it's Dr. Fauci talking about mass vaccination of the public and what could happen 10 years after. And I'm going to try to keep my mouth shut or calm down while I play this. Many scientists are beginning to believe that a vaccine against AIDS may be impossible to make and too dangerous to test. If you take it and then a year goes by and everybody's fine, then you say, okay, that's good. Now let's give it to uh, 500 people. And then a year goes by and everything's fine. Say, well, then now let's give it to thousands of people. And then you find out that it takes 12 years for all hell to break loose. And then what have you done? I I'm going to, I'm going to lose my freaking mind. Where, when did the science change Dr. Fauci that, that we are using an experimental vaccine on the entire public and children that are six months old and, and older now. What is going on? And you know what? Also notable, and I looked this up. Um, this, this isn't me making it up. This is, this is from, I think this might be from Yale Medicine too. There are around 10 HIV drugs approved by the FDA that are protease inhibitors. All these drugs, all, it says all, have long-term side effects. So explain to me, Joe Biden, while you no longer need to see a doctor to get these drugs. Let me, let me explain what a protease inhibitor is in case people don't know. That's a big medical term. Protease inhibitors are medications that help slow the progression of HIV. They do this by blocking the enzyme protease, which HIV cells need to develop and mature. Blocking protease prevents the virus from making copies of itself. Protease inhibitors are a type of anti 
retroviral therapy medication. So go out. I mean, I really got a hammer at home for the people not paying attention that everyone that said opposite about these vaccines were shouted down, banned off social media. I, I mean, and the things ended up being true months later. I don't understand why they have to ban people instead of just having a debate. I, so I wait, mean, you have, wait, you're not going to, you're telling me you're not going to vaccinate your infant child when, he, when he's born with COVID-19 COVID vaccine in a couple no, of days? No, absolutely not. No, no chance. Oh, Never come on, Joe, your before. baby's at serious risk of dying of COVID-19. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Again, these are things that, that we've been saying for over a year. And people have had their accounts deleted. They've been shouted down. They've been called conspiracy theories. Have you ever seen anyone get suspended or taken down from YouTube for saying the moon is made out of Swiss cheese? No. Why? Why is that? It's, it's, it's misinformation. All the experts agree it's not made of cheese. What, why is no one taken off for saying the moon is made out of Swiss cheese? If it's why are people, when they say these vaccines might not work or... Maybe it's not the best idea to inject a dangerous new revolutionary mRNA vaccine into the entire public. I, I'm sorry. I want accountability. I want public accountability for these lies we were sold on. Fair and public. Let's make it happen. Mark? Well, in 10 years, we're going to see if Dr. Fauci's prediction comes true. He which, said which in 10 which years, prediction? all hell breaks loose. As you said in that, in, as you said in that video, or he said in that video. Uh, so, I guess we'll see. That's the only, only thing I can really say. We'll see what happens in, you know, eight nine years from now, if there are any long term effects of the vaccine. Do, do we ever get an answer on if this virus was man made or if it came from a bat and a pangolin and all that other stuff? shitting on a pangolin in a Wuhan wet market. If where... you watch South Park, it was Mickey Mouse that orchestrated the pangolin. Again, <laughs> in the distribution we, we... of the virus. But the last thing that I saw was now that it wasn't a public, or it wasn't a lab leak, that it came from the wet market. That was the latest um, study that I, that I read, that now it's back to being a wet market bat, bat to human jump. <sighs> so who knows? Whatever happened, like I said, we, we don't know anything if it came from a lab in Wuhan. Then, then you hear about these biolabs in Ukraine that didn't exist, and all of a sudden they exist, and Russia's accusing Western nations of creating viruses in the Ukraine. It's crazy. But speaking of that, do you want to tra- – let's transition to Ukraine right now before I lose my mind with, with COVID. It's, we already spent enough time on, on this stuff. So we're going to move to an article from the National Review. Um. This is from Jim Garrity. It's, uh, yeah, the National Review. You have to give me a second. We have Mark from the sound department called off again, and it takes me a second to load. So why is the White House quietly griping about Zelensky? Um, They're saying here the Biden administration is not the happiest with Zelensky, and I'm not sure why. Um, Let's see here. Oh, they're leaking information to Thomas Friedman from the New York Times. Yes. That's interesting. Hmm. Thomas Are they Friedman, trying to get ahead same, of a narrative? The same liberal journalist that's married to a billionaire heiress that's tied into the World Economic Forum in Davos. Sure. 
so I think they're getting this article to out there to get people thinking a certain way. Um, it makes me feel like the Biden administration, not Biden because he's clearly shuffling around the White House probably right now. Um, the Biden administration want the war in Ukraine to be over and done with. That, that's what I think. Now, if Zelensky refuses, is the Biden administration going to leave Ukraine hanging out the dry here? Whatever happened to allowing Ukraine to make their own deals on their own terms with Russia? Uh, look, I'm all for shutting off the money faucet to Ukraine, but Biden and this administration has to take responsibility for this debacle. Uh, Mark? Yeah, it seems like they are slowly turning on Zelensky. You're hearing slow leaks out in the media that the Biden administration is not happy with Zelensky, that they're not happy that he fired um, two of his top People in his administration, I believe it was, um, I'm not sure who he, he, he fired, but it was two top people in his, in his, in his circle. Um, and they compared it to fire, firing. He fired the prosecutor general and the leader of its domestic intelligence agency on July 17th. Zelensky did. And they equate this to Biden firing Merrick Garland, the attorney general, and Bill Burns on the same day. So... They aren't happy about this, apparently. And again, you are hearing more and more about this administration um, not happy with Zelensky. So, as you said the other day, are we going to see a narrative change? What would happen if they basically didn't support Zelensky anymore in the, in the war in Ukraine? You know, what if they wanted this to be over? That doesn't seem like they want it to be over because they just keep sending more money and more aid over there, more weapons. So I don't know how much longer this can go on. It could go on a couple more years. But we talked about, was it yesterday or the day before, what it would look like if the United States no longer uh, was in the Zelensky camp. How would that go down? Would they just let him hang him out to dry? Would they somehow take him out on the ground using CIA or intelligence on the ground to basically eliminate him in some way, shape, or form? Would they force his resignation, which I don't see that happening. He would look weak if he resigned. So I don't know. Would, would a deal be struck? There are all kinds of different scenarios in wargaming you could play out here with Zelensky. So, you know, uh, we're, we'll see what happens in the next couple of months. But Well, real quick, maybe Biden sees the writing on the wall and realizes that supporting Ukraine isn't the best thing for him politically because people that, that are listening might not understand other governments around the world, but Mario Draghi is the prime minister, I believe, of Italy, and, and he did he, he resign was. already? Yeah. Okay, so he resigned, and he was he was Zelensky's probably biggest supporter. Him, Macron, or, or Boris Johnson were the biggest supporters, and you see, he had to resign, and Boris Johnson is also out. So maybe giving billions upon billions upon billion half a trillion almost to Ukraine wasn't the best idea politically for these idiots. Correct. So. Yeah, Draghi was a big supporter of Zelensky in Ukraine. That's a whole different subject. But I just don't see how much longer this can go on. How much more support can Zelensky get? This is not an endless, there is not an endless supply of money that could be sent to Ukraine. I mean, technically, I guess there could be, but no one wants to do that, you know? Talked about last episode, Pope Francis said, 
maybe we should negotiate some sort of peace deal here. Maybe there needs to be a give and take. I, you know, I just don't see how this can go on. And you're right. Do Americans really support this administration sending $50 billion or whatever it is now to Ukraine? Again, we are an America first podcast. We're an America first podcast. So is that beneficial to and what's in the best interest of America? Vladimir Putin doing whatever he does in Ukraine and maybe taking the eastern part of it, maybe that the Donbass region in the eastern part, maybe ceding that to Russia. Is that going to affect Americans? I, I doubt it. But let, me, let me real quick explain and, and then we're going to move on the the. For people that don't understand the Crimea in, in the Donbass region. So that was part of Russia for a long time. Okay. People don't understand going back to World War One, World War Two, that was that it would be the equivalent of let's say New England breaking off from the United States. And then 40, 50, 60 years later, China, who's half a world away, says, you know what, United States, you're not allowed to try to get New England back. We don't care if there are people in New England that want to join the United States again. It's not allowed to happen, and we're going to sanction your ass if you try. That's about as simple as I can explain it for, for the people listening that don't understand what's happened in the past with Ukraine, Russia, World War I, World War II. It's a very complex situation. Not everything is black and white. There, there sometimes are no good guys and there's no bad guys. But you watch. They're going to try to take Zelensky out of power. I'm talking about Western countries because he's no longer useful for them. And like I said, they're not going to take them out at the ballot box and right. they're going to take them out some other way. But if, moving on, take, if Zelensky is taken out somehow, some way, and don't and I don't want people to, to listen to this, think that this is some crazy theory. This has happened many times over the course of history. And the United States has been the culprit behind removing world leaders across the globe. So if they do decide to withdraw support from Zelensky, one, or two, possibly take him out in some way, shape, or form. Who do you think that they would install or would support to become the next president of Ukraine? My thought would be it would be somebody that would probably want to work with Putin on a peace deal. Your thoughts? I'm going to say probably they go with another celebrity, and it's Mina Kunis. <laughs> That would they might a, go down to the Ukrainian club in Aliquippa and pick somebody off the bar. That could be. But and like I said, it's just losing the protection from Western countries. It could lead to him indirectly losing his office or losing his life. Not saying the United States or CIA or any Western countries had a direct hand, but he lost his protection. Not Again, didn't get removed at the ballot box like Western countries are for. He got removed in basically a coup. But we're going to move on. Speaking of ballot boxes, Grando, I know you are itching to talk about Tuesday's election results. So take it away. So we saw primaries in five different states on Tuesday. The biggest of those were in Arizona and in Michigan. This is setting up to be one hell of an election season coming up here as we, you know, in the run up to the November general election, the midterms. Yes, there are still primaries going on. I remember back to a time when Pennsylvania's primary was in March. 
Now it's in May. But some states still have their primaries in August, which is very close to November. But in Arizona, we saw one of my favorite candidates in a long time who's running for governor. She's a bulldog. She's a fighter. She actually put Brett Baer in a body bag on Fox News a few weeks back. And that's Carrie Lake. Carrie, we think, has secured the, or the Republican nomination for governor in Arizona. And I say we think because it's too close to call. 82% of the vote is in. She leads by about 2%. And not all the vote is in. It was over Wednesday morning. I have to just, it was, it was over for Carrie Lake Wednesday morning. She had won, but continue now. Now all of a sudden she declared victory. She declared victory. Right. And Carrie Lake, if you don't know who Carrie Lake is, I would recommend looking her up. She is endorsed by Donald Trump. And I watched his rally in Arizona a couple weeks ago where he basically was basically a Carrie Lake, Blake Masters rally. But Carrie Lake is often seen side by side with President Trump when campaigning. Now, according to the Trafalgar Group, and that was one of the most reliable polling organizations out in America, just the other couple days ago, this was maybe late July, maybe last week, If the Republican primary for governor were held today, for whom would you vote? 49% of people said Carrie Lake. 38% said Karen Taylor Robson. So she had about an 11-point advantage in this poll. Now, with 6% undecided, now all of a sudden, Carrie Lake is only up by 2%. This is one of the most reliable polling organizations in the country. So that means every single undecided voter broke for Karen Taylor Robson, if that is the case. And this is not over yet. We're seeing another disaster in Maricopa County with hundreds of thousands of estimated votes remaining, 142,890 estimated remaining. This just goes back to the shambles of our of our country when it comes to elections. What are we doing? This, it's, it's, it, it, this election was two days ago. How do we not know who won yet? France counts 38 million votes or 68 million votes by 10 p.m. They, they, know, that, they know it before the sun's down. <sighs> I just don't see why this is so difficult. Why can't everybody get on the same page here and agree that we need to, these cannot go on for days upon days. I mean, it's, it's like the point where it's a joke, where we should have the best technology when it comes to elections. We should be the most secure. And yet we still don't know who won this election. So we're hoping it's Carrie Lake. We love Carrie Lake. We're a Carrie Lake podcast. And we will see, I guess, maybe might be a couple days. It might be weeks. Can I just can I read my thoughts real quick? Because I actually you you actually put this, I think, as one of the topics yesterday and I wrote it up around 7 p.m. I wrote what I wanted to say, and I'm just going to read exactly what I wrote at 7 p.m. And I left it as it is because everything changed when I woke up this morning. So 
this is this is my take. Two questions I have about the Kerry Lake race. How many of these ballots were walk-in ballots, the same day ballots, et cetera? And how many were mail-in? What are the final tallies? Are we going to get a final tally? I believe as of yesterday morning, and this would have been Wednesday morning, something around 20% of the ballots are, aren't counted still. When can we expect the final results with 100% reporting? Or are they not going to report because they think Kerry Lake is going to run up the score and make this look worse? Or did they not go through with something nefarious because they had too many eyes on this race watching? I don't know, but I want the final results. I mean, going into Wednesday afternoon, she had won every county except for Maricopa. This is, this is an embarrassment. It happened in Pennsylvania not too long ago. I don't know if we have the final tallies from a statewide senator race. And we're going to do it again? We're going to do it again, literally a month or two later. This is an embarrassment. We need answers. We pay taxes. And we don't get what the fuck is going on. Carrie Lake won every, pretty much every single county in Arizona, except like you said, in the Phoenix metro area, Maricopa County and a couple counties surrounding Maricopa. Um, But it looks like she's just won the entire state. If you look at this map. So again, she's up by about 12,000. And we'll see. Uh, what happens with Carrie Lake? Well, we will not let this go on this podcast. No, I we're, we're a Carrie Lake podcast, so we will be following up with this as well. Megan McCain, the, uh, the daughter of former Arizona Senator John McCain, tweeted, I see my initial predictions were right, despite the initial excitement of Robson pulling ahead. Congratulations to my home state for making the transition to full-blown MAGA conspiracy theory fraudster. The voters have spoken. Be careful what you wish for. Okay, Megan. Thank you for uh, that sob story there. And really, no one cares about you or who you are. You're, you're irrelevant. Maybe this is who the people of Arizona want. All right. Maybe we're seeing a shift in the Republican Party to people who put America first. So that was not all in Arizona. Blake Masters, another Trump-endorsed. Senate candidate. He will be running against Democratic Senator from Arizona, Mark Kelly, former NASA astronaut in in November, excuse me. So it'll be Blake Masters who dominated uh, his his race. Uh, 84% reported he's been declared the winner. He's up by 66,000 votes. He won pretty much the entire state. So it'll be Blake Masters versus Mark Kelly in Arizona for the Senate. And then we look at Michigan. We have Trump-endorsed Tudor Dixon, won the Republican primary. She will face Gretchen Whitmer, the incumbent governor in Michigan, in November as well. So this is a high-profile race. Tudor Dixon versus Gretchen Whitmer. It's always tough to unseat an incumbent. We'll see if Tudor Dixon can do it. And we also have, I believe in Michigan, uh, John Gibbs. Is that correct? That is John correct. Gibbs. I love this guy. He's this a former senior guy, advisor. At, uh, he's former senior advisor at the, uh, I think it's HUD. He was HUD under President yes. Trump. But, yeah, uh, so it's going to be John Gibbs, who was another Trump-endorsed uh, legislative candidate in, in Michigan. But we also saw that the Democrats are also financing, we'll, put, we'll say, quote-unquote, MAGA candidates. Why do you think that they're doing this? 
Do you think that this could backfire on them in November, Joe? The Dems financing MAGA candidates. Look, it backfired on them possibly the biggest time ever was in 2016 when Trump got about 100,000 hours of free airtime and he ended up winning the Republican nomination against some very, very weak candidates and then faced off against Hillary because they thought that would be an easy victory for Hillary. And I think everyone knows how that went. So please, I beg you, try it again. The reason, so to bring up the, the John, John Gibbs guy, they did donate a lot to him to get him over the line in the Republican primary. And I think that's because they think he's a conspiracy theorist. Supposedly he has some old tweets saying that uh, Clinton's old campaign chairman, John Podesta, is a Satanist that drinks blood or something. I have no idea. But uh, I, I, I listened to him. He seems like a pretty smart and pretty intelligent guy. I mean. Yeah. So, again, if you're not aware of these races going on across the country, we're going to bring you this news. We're going to bring you this information because these are races to watch. Every race is going to be contested. Every race is going to be of the utmost importance in November. This is a, and they say every election is big, and this is the biggest election of our lifetimes. This is going to be a massive election in November. This is the massive. biggest midterm election. Midterm election, probably the biggest one in our lifetime, for sure. Yes. And we're going to see how this plays out. And you can guarantee that we're going to see more of this, that we don't know who won on election night. We don't know who won two days later. We might not know who won certain races for a week, for a week or weeks, plural. This is just the way elections are run now in America. It's a joke. It's embarrassing. I think every American would want to see a resolution in some sort of election reform on top of what we already saw in a lot of red states. But I think we need to see, you know, somehow, some way, if you want to have mail-in voting, fine. Have the votes counted before Election Day so that we know who wins that night. Everybody should have the day off, as I said before. It should be a holiday. Everyone can go vote. Everybody should have full access to voting. So that is my thought on that. And again, we will watch closely here, probably by the next time we record, Hopefully we see a Kerry Lake official victory. So that's all I got on those um, on the midterms. Okay. The midterms okay. On the primary. Moving on. Oh, God. It's the big I think this is it. No, no. It's just uh, next up is Nancy's Taiwan recap. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and kick it off by reading an article um, here. Uh, where is this from? Bloomberg. So pretty liberal source. Um, Pelosi's Taiwan trip left a fuming White House scrambling for a plan. The administration aimed to quietly uh, persuade a delay of the Taiwan visit. Officials raced to ensure any fallout could be minimalized. Um, okay, so I'm also going to play, let me get to cue up the video here, a video from the White House press briefing. I believe this was... Tuesday afternoon. We missed it. I think it was a couple hours after our last podcast. But this is John Kirby explaining the whole situation. So, John Kirby, I'll let him take it away. Go ahead. Uh, one on uh, Taiwan, if you would, and one on the Middle East, very quickly. You keep telling us that U.S. policy hasn't changed and that the United States does not support an independent Taiwan. And yet, it 
we look at what Speaker Pelosi tweeted from the ground in Taiwan, her post actually states, quote, America stands with Taiwan. We all know that Taiwan harbors uh, ambitions toward independence. When the Speaker of the House says, we stand with Taiwan, America stands with Taiwan, how can the Chinese construe that as anything else but that you're supporting independence? I'll let the Speaker speak for herself. Um, all I can tell you, James, is what I told you yesterday, uh, and I'm happy to repeat it. Nothing has changed about our adherence to the One China policy. Nothing has changed about uh, our stance on Taiwan independence, which is that we do not support Taiwan independence. And nothing has changed, James, uh, about our commitments and how seriously we take those commitments under the Taiwan Relations Act. Everything is consistent, James. God. I, I, I can't say that anymore. Shut him up. Everything's consistent, my ass. Listen. Can you, I'm talking to the people at the Pentagon here, John Kirby, Nancy Pelosi, the Biden administration, can you please, please get on the same fucking page here? Uh, this Great timing, great timing to show the world this, guys and girls. Um, amazing job all around. Give yourselves a hand because you just showed how divided and freaking weak we are. On national television, I'm sure China has cable. Mark? I mean, again, going back to this whole visit, and, and, and I was seeing some news about Democrats and Republicans in Congress were, were rallying around Pelosi. They were supporting her visit to Taiwan. Am, are, are we over the mark here on this? Are we, are we off on our assessment of this whole visit? Because... We have an article here from Bloomberg. Pelosi's Taiwan trip left a fuming White House scrambling for a plan. Of course they should be fuming. I agree with the White House and they should be fuming. That they that she would do this and basically jeopardize. And this is my take. There are other takes on this. That she would jeopardize the security of Taiwan and inflame China. But then I guess you could you could look on the other side of this and say she's maybe playing tough with China. I, I don't see how that could be a could be a thought, but maybe that maybe that she is. I, I don't know. But I agree with the White House here that they should be fuming. They didn't want her to go. I, I don't know how she had the authority to go. I know she's the third ranking member of the United States government. But if there if the White House didn't want her to go. How did they how did they permit her to do so on a United States governmental plane? I, you know, she's 82 years old. She's obviously trying to go out with a bang. She did this because she knows she's not going to become speaker after the midterms when the new Congress is sworn in in January. She knows that she has to know that. Why else would she have done this? She got her military plane into Taiwan. She got the whole world talking about her, you know. So there's other thoughts out there that she did this um, because of the whole NVIDIA chip deal that was passed and all the subsidies to the chip companies, but we won't go into that. But yeah, they were very right to be upset with this trip to Taiwan and to, you know, damage whatever relations we have left with China. We're now seeing China conduct live active drills 
in the Taiwan Strait. So they said they were going to have a response, and they do have a response. They are conducting live active drills. They're shooting missiles uh, over Taiwan, and their planes are in Taiwan airspace. Fighter planes are in Taiwan airspace. So, so this is what you see uh, happen as a result of this visit. So that's all I got. I'm over it. I think we're all over it, but we're definitely going to continue to monitor this situation because if there's one thing this podcast does not want, it's a war between China and the United States or, China, or Russia in the United States or anyone in the United States because that's they're going to try to, to do a war and they're going to try to lie about the reasons and we can't let them get away with it. Cannot let them get away with it. We got to stay on top of this and we got to just pursue the truth. There because were back they're, they're... channels set up between, and this is how these things work, okay? I'll read you just a quote from this article. When it became clear that Pelosi could not be swayed, and this is from Bloomberg, the administration instead planned for contingencies, setting up a scramble to ensure communication channels with Beijing were functioning and any fallout could be minimized. That included meetings between U.S. officials and their counterparts at the Chinese embassy in Washington, people familiar with the matter said. So there were back channels set up between the U.S. Embassy or the Chinese Embassy in Washington and Beijing, trying to communicate with Beijing to let them know, hey, you know, maybe we don't support this. Um, this is not our official stance on on Taiwan, um, whatever you whatever you think that those discussions may have um, entailed. So there were back channels set up. They were trying to have some sort of diplomacy there, if you want to call it that, some sort of enhanced communication to let China know that, you know, this isn't what you think it is. Real quick, because um, you know me, I, I war game numerous situations and possibilities out. Let's not forget that China can use North Korea as a proxy. And then what is the United States, just like the United States is using Taiwan basically as a proxy right now, or Ukraine as a proxy against Russia. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. So what... Uh, what happens if they use North China uses North Korea as a, as a proxy, the United States, they're not going to be able to nu nuke North Korea. You, you think China or any other country is going to let just nukes fly over from Taiwan or Japan over their country? No. So are we going to do a ground invasion of North Korea? What's going to happen? This, this, this is going to be a firestorm and one match, one match can light this whole thing up and, and we're going to follow it. We're going to continue to follow it, but just, yep. Yep. So um, this is how these things play out, guys, on a global on a global stage. So let's move on to quick hits. Yeah, we're going to do the quick hits now. Um, so I believe it was two episodes ago. We talked about uh, Trump's comments at uh, his live golf tour on 9-11. By the and, way, by the way, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I apologize to interrupt. But I did have a listener uh, question me on those on those comments that that I made. And he said, you know, are you questioning the fact that 9-11 was an inside job. I said, no, I was just trying to, to determine what I thought the Trump was saying on that. I don't have any doubts about 9-11. My only question mark was building seven, but we can get into that another time. Um, so go on. I have a lot of, a lot of questions, but we'll get to those in an entire episode, probably series later on. Okay, so this is from um, Vanity Fair. Prince Charles Charity accepted large sum of money from Bin Laden family, according to new report. 
Now, the newspaper said that the Prince of Wales Charitable Fund received donations in 2013 from Barik bin Laden and Sharif bin Laden, both half-brothers of the deceased al-Qaeda leader who orchestrated terrorist attacks against the United States. Now, one was for many years, I believe, the chairperson of some construction conglomerate or something. I don't conglomerate. Know that... I yeah. mean, they are huge in the Middle East. Like they own 500 or so companies, a part of this conglomerate. Yes. And honestly, I want to break away because I thought it was just weird how the 9-11 stories evolved over the course of a few days. So we had that story. I believe it was on a Sunday it came out, the one I just read. But let's recap the last couple of days before that. So Trump makes those comments about 9-11 last week, whatever it was, Thursday, something like that, Wednesday, Thursday. And he said, we never got to the bottom of what happened. And he didn't call them terrorists. He called them maniacs, which is strange. Then, not long after, um, hell, it, it might have even been that same day or within 24 hours, the Biden administration used the CIA to kill a 9-11 plotter in Afghanistan on a balcony. So over the course of a week, we have three completely different news stories, all tying to 9-11 and with terrorists tied to 9-11. Like I said, Trump was just talking about how we never got the bomb of 9-11. And then all of a sudden, the CIA drone strikes the, the, one of the planners. I think he was one of the main planners. And then a few days later, we found out Prince Charles has some dealing with the bin Laden family. Something just doesn't pass the smell test here. I mean, luckily for you guys, our subscribers, I have a nose for this kind of stuff. So give me a few weeks, and I'm going to get to the bottom of this one. So... Mark, do you have anything you want to add or should we move well, on? Well, with the, with the Prince Charles charity, he did accept that money. And I was looking at why would Prince Charles, you know, accept this money? And apparently his charity issues grants and um, gives out donations um, to different um, applicants, heritage and conservation, education, health and well-being social inclusion, environment, and countryside. <clears throat> he accepted $3 million from, I guess, the, the, these guys. Um, I'm sorry, $3 million from Sheikh Hamad bin Jassim bin Jaber Al-Thani, the former prime minister of Qatar. So he's accepting money from not just the bin Laden family, um, but also the prime minister of Qatar. And he was advised you know, not to. He took a million pounds from the Bin Laden family for his charity. But just the optics of this are very, very, very strange and very bad. But doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And let's not forget his brother. I think it's his brother um, was the one that had the ties to. Uh, was it Jeffrey Epstein? <laughs> What's going on with the Royals? There, there's there's something something here. I'm not saying with Epstein and Bin Laden, but there, there's something, there's something there. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Let's get so. to the, uh, the, the Marquis de Lafayette, Karine Jean-Pierre. Our favorite press secretary. She is the gift that keeps on giving, baby. Okay, so um, we're going to play the video from our favorite press secretary explaining what's constitutional and what's not. Here we go. 
From day one, when uh, when the Supreme Court made this extreme decision uh, to take away a, a constitutional right, uh, it was an unconstitutional unconstitutional action by them, a right that was around for almost 50 years, a right that women had to make a decision on their bodies and how they want to start their families. Okay, so um, she's talking about Dobbs and the abortion case. The Supreme Court just just did a couple weeks ago or a couple months, I guess now. Um, now. Doesn't the Supreme Court constitutional? Um, also, the Supreme Court said the decision belongs in the hands of the voters, which is exactly what we just saw in Kansas on Tuesday. They voted to keep abortion as it is. So, in my opinion, the Supreme Court did a fine job. I mean, what do we have? What do we need? Someone to go get her the, the Bill of Rights or something? I don't know what the hell she's talking about. It's literally, that's what the Supreme Court's job is. And this is our press secretary. It's clueless on this shit. I don't know, Mark. Yep. No, it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, you know, she is, I, 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 we, we rail against her and say how bad she is. But honestly, I hope they don't replace her. I mean, no, never, is, never. She is too good. She gives us so much to talk about. And she continues to make this administration look foolish. So I hope they just keep, putting her out there this is great uh again she's the gift that keeps on giving that's all all right um moving on and we're gonna do an entire episode on on this topic later on i can't say when um but false flags and the fbi now does anyone remember the governor whitmer whitner she was the michigan governor the kidnapping plot that happened right before the 2020 election people were arrested all this stuff well, this is going to be about a two-minute video, so brace yourself. Um, I have a video here from the, a House hearing, er, hearing earlier in the week. I believe this is Representative Thomas Massey. I could be wrong. Um, but I'm just going to play the video, and you, the viewers, can judge for yourself. Talking about the Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping plot and the FBI's role in it. Here we go. Instead, the FBI appears to have contrived the plot, used its informants to draw people into the plot, and uh, provided logistical and financial su support to what was in effect an FBI operation. And uh, the board behind me details just some of the resources that were devoted to the op. You had a lead informant, a guy named Big Dan, who was paid $54,000 over six months to pretend to lead a fake militia to recruit really disadvantaged and unstable men from a Facebook dis discussion group. Sort of, well, one of them was living in the cellar of a vacuum uh, repair shop. Uh, FBI paid travel expenses for people involved, food, even alcoholic beverages to take the targeted folks to a militia conference out of state. There were more than a dozen inf FBI informants involved in the process, undercover FBI agent, uh, several of them, one, one of whom taught, purported to teach how to make a bomb and used a, a bomb video produced by the FBI. At one point, according to the New York Times, there was a nighttime surveillance at Governor Whitman's vacation cabin, and four of the participants were informants, including Big Dan, or undercover agents. At one point when the group was sort of falling apart in August 2020, the FBI handler congratulated Big Dan, said, quote, look at you bringing people together. And he congratulated him for breathing new life into the plot. Um, oh, hold on out there 
FBI agent Jason Chambers coached Big Dan in a parallel scheme to recruit folks into a contrived plot against former Virginia Governor Northam. And at one point he's asked by Big Dan how to couch the plan to one of the recruits. And Chambers wrote, quote, mission is to kill the governor specifically. Uh, again, now that, that's the evidence I understand from the trial. Don't know that it's a complete uh, sampling of it, Mr. Attorney General. But is that the kind of conduct that DOJ and FBI are engaged in in pursuing domestic terrorism matters? So I'm sure you can appreciate that case, um, as you know, involves defendants charged with kidnapping the governor of Michigan. What a loser. It's an ongoing case. The judge has ordered uh, a retrial, um, and that retrial is set. Um, given that it's an ongoing case, uh, can't I, I can't even listen anymore. Any the questions you've asked. Uh, they don't answer any questions. Um, I, I'm sorry. What is going on when our FBI is spending tax dollars in trying to frame people for crimes and they're taking them across state lines? Remember the whole Kyle Rittenhouse thing? He took a gun across state lines. What, what the hell is going on with our FBI? Uh, and you know what? It doesn't it just doesn't end there. I, I, it, what's that say about January 6th? Can we see the tens of thousands of video footage that we are not allowed to see? Can we know how many feds were in the crowd on January 6th? This could have helped change the 2020 election. I mean, think about it. In Michigan, you got a guy trying to kill the governor, a, a militia group. That sounds scary. That's like Timothy McVeigh shit. And it ended up all being lies. Uh, this is bad. This is something we need to monitor. And we, we can't let go because when you have the FBI trying to frame citizens of its own country for crimes and throw them in jail for the rest of their life and bait them into doing it. That's something that just makes my, my stomach turn. I'm sorry, Mark. Well, when, when Trump said he wanted to drain the swamp, I think this is probably what he was talking about. You know, you have the FBI that was plotting to kidnap and kill Michigan governor Gretchen Whitmer and then frame it and then frame a militia group as if they were the ones that did it. It's just crazy. I mean, it's, this is not, you know, some make-believe made-up story. This is real. So I don't know how many of our listeners actually know about this, but just I don't know what else to say about this. I mean, you could go you could Google it. There are probably 50 instances of this since the Timothy I brought since the early 90s. I mean, there's one in Houston about there was a terrorist attack and it turns out the FBI agent was literally right there and he was the 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 terrorist's handler. And nothing ever came of that. I don't know. Are they baiting these people into doing crimes to keep us, our population, in fear of an invisible enemy? I, I, I don't know. That's conspiracy talk. We'll say that for another episode. But we're just going to monitor this situation. And that's all we can do. Um, we're almost at the end of the show here. We're approaching the hour mark. So we got, I have one more. I don't know if you have any grando. Uh, my last one, Demi Lovato changes her pronouns back to she, her. I'm I'm not sure what to say about that. Uh, I guess good for they, them. I don't know. I don't know. Um, No, I don't have anything else, uh, but I will end the show with a quote. Dan Bongino likes to say almost every episode. Republicans are not the answer to all your problems. But Democrats sure as hell are the cause of them. Back to you. Okay. Um. So we're, we're, we're at the hour mark here. Um, I've been getting a few questions. One I have to address, though. Um, like I said, I've been getting a lot of questions through six episodes here. Why, Joe, why haven't you made fun of Dr. Rachel Levin yet? Um, Levin, Levine, 
Well, um, look, I'm all for comedy and, and that stuff, but this show isn't about making fun of people. It's about giving you guys the news and exposing the lies. So, no, I'm not going to use my platform just to poke fun of someone. Besides, say whatever you want about Dr. Rachel Levin, but she worked her dick off to get where she is today. So that's it. That's all I have today. Thanks for listening. Um, I'm Dr. Joseph Anthony Corsi. Mark, who are you? Tell the truth. Bye.